Father in heaven, we're thankful today that we can just spend some time together. We ask your presence to be with us as we uh, talk about this important subject. In Christ's name, amen. Um, we live in a society where the devil is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. And one of the areas that uh, he really works through is uh, moral impurity, pornography. And, um, you know, there's places in the world that are maybe even a little worse than here um, in terms of the overtness of it, but America is certainly catching up. I know in Scandinavia, it's very pronounced on the billboards and whatnot. Uh, billboards, magazines, movie theaters, movies. Um, in fact, some theaters are actually focused in on this almost exclusively. I would call those, uh, if you will, high places. Um, the internet um, is increasingly um, an avenue for feeding lustful thoughts. And I might say to you that I don't believe our heart can be trusted on this. If you think, well, I'm strong, my heart's good here, and I'll just resist that. Pride goes before a fall. And uh, the heart is desperately wicked, and who can, who can know what the Bible says? Um, also, you know, we can get in wrong relationships and wrong friendships, and we can be taken advantage of in these areas. And so this area of moral impurity it, it surrounds us. So, is it a big deal? Do you know anybody yourself that you think struggles with these issues? Let's see what the Bible says about, uh, about the importance of the subject. Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7 and 1 Thessalonians 4 we'll look at. Proverbs uh, chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. And notice what it says in Proverbs 5, verse 8 through 14. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one, and lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Now, how many think that sounds kind of dangerous? In other words, this whole chapter was about going near someone who was a, a prostitute, someone who was availing themselves for uh, the fulfillment of lustful thoughts and intentions. And it talks about giving your honor away in that situation and letting aliens be fulfilled with your wealth and that your body would be consumed. Now, how many of you think that in society today we've had any recent examples of someone losing wealth and having all of these situations come to pass that are right here in the Proverbs. Let me jog your memory. Where the catastrophic fall of, uh, of a celebrity um, um, demonstrates losing massive amounts of wealth and having multitudinous problems. Yes or no? Continuing on with that passage. And they say, How I have hated instruction, my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. This particular celebrity, I guess, grew up in a home where there was a similar problem. And from uh, being a young man, he had heard about the problem and to, to avoid it. 
and yet he didn't listen. And it says, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So how many think this can be somewhat dangerous? Proverbs 7, 22 and 23, immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. How many of you have ever been to a slaughterhouse and, and watched an ox go to the slaughter? They have a maze where they have them go through this maze and they, they the, uh, if they're humane at all, they don't want all those catecholamines to be released when they, when they kill the animal. So they, they try and make it so that it will be uh, an easy transition. It gets darker and darker in that maze and then it comes in and the, and, and, and the final blow is almost not even known. I don't know what they did in Bible times, but it seems similar because a fool in the correction of stocks till an arrow struck his liver, the bird, as the bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. So, dangerous, a dangerous situation. First Thessalonians 4, 4 through 7. Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, that's his body. Some people say that it's his, a person's wife or spouse, but in this sense it looks to be the individual. To possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So there is to be a marked difference between how the Christian handles the lust of the flesh you know, there's also the lust of the spirit, and that's fine, but the lust of the flesh and the Gentile. You know, in ancient times, the Hebrew temple was uh, surrounded by Canaanite culture, and the Canaanite culture was known to be very sexually uh, promiscuous. Like, for instance, the Moabites. Mo means who, Ab means father. Who is my father? And the reason for this was because they had these high places, they had these fertility rites, and they actually brought this together into the worship of God. So when you went to church, you would pick up someone who was not your spouse, and they would go through all the activities, and then they would end the evening with a very close relationship with each other that was usually reserved for just married couples. And as a result, worship became sin. And the Hebrew culture was right in the midst of that, and they were to be known as markedly different, right? In other words, they were, to possess, uh, they were supposed to have their vessels possessed in sanctification. And why is this? You don't want people to take advantage of, defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. Now, why does it say no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in, the, in this area of... of, uh, of uh, of lust. Because, you know, if you're a young man and you are involved with a young lady that's not going to be your wife, it's going to be someone's wife, probably. And you're defrauding your brother. Right? And, uh, and, and in the same way for, for ladies with men. And it says, the Lord is the avenger of such. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to what? But to holiness. So, is it a big deal just to review? It is. You'll get sick, Proverbs told us. You might get killed, and the Lord will avenge. How many think that's a fairly significant deterrent? 
Should be, right? Well, what is the promise, though, for people that are victorious? Remember, it says, uh, possess your vessel in sanctification and, and holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see God. But if you are holy, like I said there in the introduction of the seminar, if you're pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, or in other words, the holy, for they shall what? See God. See God. Now, how many of you want to see God? Amen. Now, I might, you say, well, wait a minute, why are you covering this for a glow rally? Um, there are numerous statements that are like this. If you are not connected with God, if you're not abiding in Him, you really can't make your influence felt in a skeptical world. You really can't glow unless you are in relationship with the Lord in the way you need to be. And uh, you don't have that, that same vibrancy. Well, I think that's one of the reasons. Now, there are three main battlefields that we fight with when it comes to lust of the flesh, the mind. Satan will say, go ahead and look or linger or do whatever. The spirit will say, don't look. And then the actions. Once you begin to think about it, um, in the mind, then the actions come. And when you start to act on the lust of the flesh, the Bible calls that giving place to the devil. And to give place, the, the, the Greek word in that text is, is topos, topography. It's giving up land, giving up territory to the devil. And this then allows the devil to inhabit you, in a sense. Uh, the, you know, the text that says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And many times uh, there's all kinds of, of uh, demonic things that can happen. So the mind, the actions, the habits, and then continued actions then lead to, to what? To bondage. To bondage. Um, so these three main battlefields, the mind, the actions, the habits. So how do we conquer this giant of, of lust, the lust of the flesh? Number one, begin a war and I think this is so important, Be, uh, begin a war that has already been won and needs to be claimed. Let me just say to you that I believe that the war over lust in your life has already been won. Amen. It's already been won. Amen. And it's not been won by you, perhaps, but it has been won by Jesus Christ. Amen. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory Amen. through the Lord Jesus Christ. How many say thank, thank the Lord for that? Amen. In other words, if you come in here defeated, remember that you're already a victor in Christ. Amen. The problem you must be having or might be having is that you're not in Christ. Amen? Amen? So you already the victory is there. So I hope that fills you with hope as we begin. But then realize, even though the victory is there, that it is still a battle. Right? It is still a battle. And the battle is one of surrendering every moment and every thought to Christ, just moment by moment. And surrendering to His victory. Right? So many times we, we snatch victory uh, from the jaws of defeat, or defeat from the jaws of victory, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We, he has the victory for us, and we say, okay, I'll just be, I'll be defeated instead. My brethren, be strong. What does it say next? in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you may resist the wiles of the devil. And then it goes through the entire list. In other words, He has given us everything 
And the battle is many times putting on his armor. Uh, but remember, you still have to fight. And be aware that uh, it is a warfare and that the devil has all kinds of snipers around. He's got web pages that shift immediately when you go to them. He's got all kinds of techniques. Yes or no? Landmines and snipers. So the battle is in the mind. Don't be squeezed into the mold of this world, Philip says, or be conformed into this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there's this idea, we have to focus on having God change our mind. Now, one way to begin to change the mind is through fasting and confession. What do I mean? Isaiah says, is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? So there's something between fasting and victory. Now, you know, if you wanted to ask me physiologically what that connection was, um, I can give you, you know, maybe one example. Recently, I was listening to Dr. Nedley lecture down in Bakersfield, and he talked about that if you fast, what happens is that the, uh, the, the gut can produce more of the substance called melatonin, and it rejuvenates your brain. And when your brain is rejuvenated, you get that more sense of, uh, of well-being and rest of the brain, you're, you're sharper. Your eyes will pop, your jaws will drop, you've got spunk in your trunk, and you're, 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 uh, you're able to, to resist more fully as you're fasting. Right? Have you ever wanted to be mentally clear the next day and you said, I'm not going to eat the night before? Because that big cheese pizza you ate will increase your blood sugar for four to six hours after you eat it. And you won't get rest because your melatonin production will be cut down by, by uh, almost in half or more. And the next morning you wake up, you feel like a cheese head. <laughs> and you're not able to do that well. And you're not able to resist as adequately. How many can see a connection between fasting? And if I was gonna say what what, how should you fast? I would say that evening meal make it light. And by the way, that's many times when we're tempted with lust. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Late at night. Huh? <laughs> a flickering, a flickering screen that's hypnotizing in front of you. <laughs> You're a cheesehead at that time. And then you have that temptation that just seems to be overmastering. But it's... The Bible says the curse did not come causeless. In other words, there's always a cause for that curse that comes, right? <laughs> Discover the curse and reverse the curse. Amen? Number four, commit to have Christ wash your brain. For the weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, are what? Not carnal. In other words, of the flesh. Don't try and fight flesh with flesh. It's just like, not going to work. Uh, not carnal, but mighty in God. In other words, in the spirit. For the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations or arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How many think this is a wonderful thing? And how does he do that? How does he come in and knock down strongholds? You know what a stronghold is? That's a hold that's even stronger than a hold. It's a stronghold. It's, it's, it's something that, 
I know, that makes it real clear. It's something that really, really has a grip. It's something that is, is uh, getting stronger and stronger as a result of, of the activity. Well, how does, this, how does this work? One way is with the water of the washing, or the washing of the water of the what? The of the Word. So you have that hydraulic system that's going to wash that all the way. Now notice what happens. Casting down strongholds, that's not enough to cast them down. They have to be replaced with strongholds. Watch this text. Replace the devil's strongholds with God's strongholds. Look at this text. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. <laughs> Who's your strength? The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my what? Stronghold. Stronghold. So you see, you replace the devil's strongholds with whose? Another powerful concept, isn't it? It is. Make a covenant with your... Your eyes, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young, a young woman? Now, you know, God wants to make a covenant with our eyes. He wants to make a covenant with every part of our body. Yes or no? When Abram became Abraham, right, and Sarai became Sarah, Abraham, what did they do to symbolize that covenant chains? Circumcision. That was another body part. If you need to explain that to me, see me afterwards. But it was circumcision of the eyes. Circumcision of every, every part of the body. Amen? Amen? So, made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Remember Samson, he didn't really make a covenant. And it didn't go so well for his eyes. And he had a hard time seeing God. He was blind. So make a contract. God, my eyes are yours. I want them to see what you want them to see. When you want them to see. And how you want them to see it. You know, the Bible talks about having eyes full of adultery. And we don't want to have that. We want to have eyes full of circumspect worship. So how do we control our eyes? Well, I think you've got to be ready and on alert, recognizing the devil is attempting to give you double vision and mess up your eyesight. It says he goes around like a roaring lion. And when something roars, what do you do? You look at what's roaring. Yes or no? You know how lions catch you? The males roar and the females come out and eat you up. <laughs> and there's a lot of lessons to be learned about that, young men. I'll talk to you later about that. So be on ready. <laughs> Be ready for the warfare. And, uh, you know, quote scripture. Give the thoughts to God. Give the thoughts to God. Pick a word and say it when the temptation comes. Peter loved this word. Help! Help me. I'm a sinful man. Remember that? Pick a word. Now, why is it that this helps? Why is it, you know, one little word can slay him, Martin Luther said. One little word. You see, if you start focusing on a word of God, your brain can't really focus on more things than one thing at a time. You know, some people say, oh, yes, I can multitask. Yeah? You know, they've done studies on people that talk on their cell phone while driving. You know, they're worse than drunk drivers. 
and they've done studies on people that have instant messaging on at work, and they have all their emails coming, and the brain is a sequential thought organism. So in other words, you, you can think, and then if something else happens, you have to start over and think again, and think again, and it starts over and over again. And so now what they're saying is the online organization is the ineffective organization, because there's so many interruptions. But this illustrates another point. If you want to interrupt what the devil is trying to get you to do, you got to do something radical like, help! This is why a horn works. <laughs> People go, wait a minute. <laughs> and it averts an accident, yes or no? Yes. Except for my horn, it's kind of anemic. <laughs> you know, people, people don't even look. My, my wife, when, I, when we, were, we were dating, she had this car that had a malfunctioning horn. It always would honk incessantly when she turned left. <laughs> so whenever she turned left and this thing was going, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I told her she needed to get the right idea. Anyway, so, because it was always left. So this is, I think, a very, uh, a very good technique because I remember I was doing stop smoking classes once. You know, everybody eventually stopped smoking. But anyway, these people wanted to stop. And I was doing this class with them and this, this old, uh, older uh, stop smoking teacher showed me a trick. She said, give them all a big, thick rubber band. And whenever they have the temptation to smoke, just take that rubber band and snap it. Bang! And they snap it, and then they have a whole bunch of things they're supposed to do right after because the brain goes, ah! And then they get their celery stick. And then they get in the shower, and they're rubbing, and you can't smoke so well in the shower. And then they're doing all this stuff, right? And by the time they're done, the urge is gone. So how many can think, that, how many think there's something to that? And if you have those ready-made things in the brain, those, those texts, those things stored away, it can help. Now, let me t show you this. <coughs> I was reading a book on the brain recently to try and get smart. And as I was reading this book by Jeffrey Schwartz, um, it talked about how in our heads there is a readiness potential, right? Um, and this ready poten readiness potential is unconscious. Like, for instance, I'm getting closer to him, and he's ready to jump. He doesn't even know he's all ready. He's got a readiness potential there. It's unconscious. In fact, it's like 350 milliseconds before you know what you're going to do, but your body's already thinking about it many times. Because you've got these habit patterns and everything worked out, and you're just, whoosh. have you ever met somebody that's jumpy? Boom! You know? And, and uh so this unconscious readiness potential is there. It, it's ready to act at any time. But then you become consciously aware of it, and you only have like 150, 200 milliseconds left. Right? And then the action's going to come. Now experiments have shown that a person can choose not to perform a movement that was on the cusp of occurring and that was preceded by a large readiness potential. Now I think that's good news. In other words, you're all set up to do something wrong, and you still can say, I'm not going to do it. Amen. How many think that's great? And you know what that's called? The gift of enmity. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. In other words, God said, even though the wrong seems off so strong, I am the ruler yet. I'm going to give you the gift of enmity. And, and you can change. How many say amen to that? Amen. So now what they're saying is not only do you have free will, 
you also have free won't. <laughs> to refrain from an act is no less an act than to commit an act. In other words, if you say, I'm not going to do it, that was an action. And now they're talking about free won't and free will. How many of you are glad for free will? How many of you get for free won't? And, uh, and they've proven that that's true. Now, uh, I could tell you so many stories about this, but I won't. Let's go to the next one. How do we control our eyes? Another idea is to have a prayer target. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the what? So watchfulness and perseverance is connected with supplication for who? For the saints. You're going, giving your glow tracks out, and you realize that um, people are walking throughout the valleys of lustful land, America, and you say, wait a minute, I'm being tempted. I'm going to pray for someone else right now. I'm going to pray for this person or that person. So you punish the devil by praying for someone else when he tempts you. Oh, you tempted me? Good. I'm praying A to Z about this temptation for everybody else. Amen. Pick a prayer target. Amen? Amen? If you don't have one, just I'll give you a name. Don McIntosh. <laughs> <I would. laughs> Seriously. Needs your prayers. Uh, I need the prayers of those I love, the song goes. Yes or no? Yes. I've been, my life's been saved by prayer. Without my mother's prayer, I'd be dead today. Without the prayer of another atheist in a hospital bed for me when she was dying, I'd be dead today. Prayer targets. My mother had me in her sights for years. And the Lord used her. Prayer targets. 1 Corinthians 1.11. Look it up later. Helping. Your prayers helping. Paul said, all Asia hated me. I had the sentence of death in myself, but they prayed for me. Now here's another one, the thanksgiving defense. I love this one. Just recently began to see it in Scripture. But fornication, what are we talking about here? Lust, fornication, and uncleanliness and covetousness. Covetousness is always connected to fornication, right? Because you're going, I'd like to have that. Right? Fornication, cleanliness, covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather, what? Giving thanks. So you see that whole list and any other thing you want to put in the list? If you're struggling with any of those areas, whenever the temptation comes, what do you start to do? Thank you, God, for something. Praise Him for something. Now, let me, give you an, let me ask you a couple questions. When was it that God, when was it that God uh, thanked His Father for the loaves and the fishes? Before He gave them out or after? When was it that Jesus thanked his father for the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead? When was it that Jesus thanked his father that he would, he would, he would drink the cup new in the new Jerusalem before or, or after the Last Supper? Before and in the Advent movement when it started. What, 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 what was the, the, the word at the beginning of the Advent movement? The sounding of the seventh trumpet. Lord, we give you thanks because you've taken your great power and you've reigned and the time of the dead that they should be just. The thanksgiving, I noticed, always preceded the victory. Amen. Now, how many of you want to try that on for size and begin thanking the Lord? 
Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think, I think this, this, this defense of gratitude is underutilized. Now, here's another one. Ask the women God has placed in your life to protect you. Notice it says the women that God has placed in your life. The devil can place women in your life too, men. Right? Um, and vice versa. So, you know, in Genesis 6, it says they, they chose, they, they took women they chose. And then the whole thing falls apart. But the, the, ask the women God is placing us to protect you. Um, I'm defended, dependent on some of this lecture from, from a Bill Gothard tape that I heard years ago. And I just remembered it so well. It was so helpful to me that when I was putting this talk together, I, I pulled extensively. And I remember the guy talking about how... Um, he took these texts seriously that I'm going to show you. Listen to your father who begat you. Don't despise your mother when she is old. My son, give me your heart and let your, your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot's a deep pit, a seductress is a narrow well, and she lies in wait for a victim and increases unfaithfulness among men. And he said, he says, look, this text is teaching that you need to listen to the godly women in your life. So when, when the women would be walking down through the mall with him, his wife and his daughters, he'd say, I'm struggling with this lustful thought. You've got to help me out. And they'd be watching for people that would maybe trigger thoughts of lust. And they'd say, Dad, don't look to the left. Don't look to the left. Dad, don't look to the right. Dad, just close your eyes. We're in the midst of it. I'm just, I don't even look around anywhere. Now, you know, that sounds kind of funny, but I, I, I think that's almost refreshing to me that someone could be that transparent in their family. You know, it really is. And uh, it also tells me something else. You know, some people, it matters how you dress, glow folks. If you want out to go out and glow, make sure you're glowing for the right reason. Glow, not glow, no, okay? And some of you people, you dress for, for, for disaster. And, and they look at you, now look, there might be a reason you're doing it. And I think the, a bigger problem sometimes than lust is lusting after people lusting after you. Some people dress in a way that they want people to actually think about that. And maybe because they have feelings of self-worth that are so low that they think, I gotta reduce it down to just the bare basic base instincts or no one would pay attention to me. Or maybe they were abused when they were young. But sometimes we dress in a way, both men and women, that invites problems, yes or no? And you know, I gotta tell you that listen to the, men, the, 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 the women in your life, men, but also listen to the men in your life Women, because I mean, look, I, I, I sometimes you can just look at you know. I say to my wife, I say, honey, that's a that's a that's a dress, that's a nice dress, but there's just not enough of it, <laughs> or whatever. And I don't say that often because my wife doesn't have the problem, uh, you know. And, and my wife too. I tell her, look, if you you, you tell me, you know, <laughs> Don. You're looking too good for consumption, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> yes or no? Uh, how many think this is practical? And when you're out there in your glow teams, I mean, come on. Now, men, uh, I don't think you should maybe take this on, but I'm just telling you that it, it is helpful in a family. Number nine, the Holy Spirit's 
most effective weapon in this area of lust is thy word if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And you know, these, uh, there's so many, there's many powerful texts we could go through, but I like this one. Set your mind on things above, not on earth, for you died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. Setting your mind on things above. How many think that's a powerful concept? And if you read down collisions, I call it collisions instead of Colossians, because co Colossians is for the collisions in life. And as you're reading down through that epistle, it's like an e-missile. It, it, it goes to right exactly where you are. And when you, here's the thing. It starts out by says, set your mind on things above. And then it goes through all the relationship between husband and wife and everything else. And it, it, it basically is saying in chapter 3 that the success in your relationships is because of your rootedness in looking to Jesus above. Amen. And I got to tell you, if you really want to glow, that's the secret. That's not getting all those tracks that they're going to sell to you at the end of the conference. Although you should get those too. Amen. Are you with me? It's setting your mind on things above. Here's another text that's useful. Flee fornication. Don't sit there and try and talk about it. Just kind of, okay, well, this doesn't look good. No, run. Get out of there. Um, this, this whole text was built around when there was a fire in a house. And uh, you didn't just sit around. You, you got out of there. And the word fornication there, the Greek word, looks kind of interesting. Looks kind of like it's very fitting, doesn't it? So... Um, Remove provisions for defeat. This seems obvious, but let's cover it anyway. Make no provision for the flesh. This might be cable television. This must, might be the internet. This might be what you eat or what you drink. There's kind of primary and secondary issues here. Like I said before, some music that you listen to can, can really be problems. It can set you up for lustful thoughts, yes or no. Yes. And some food that you eat, like I said before, those high fatty foods and different things, they begin to baffle your brain and drink as well. You know, I fly quite a bit and I fly through Las Vegas. I don't usually fly to Las Vegas. I fly through Las Vegas. In other words, I land and then I take off without getting off the plane. And as I'm on the way to Las Vegas, you know what I've noticed? There's a lot of stupid people on the way to Las Vegas. <laughs> and they're all going there to gamble, right? And you'll ask them, what are you doing? I'm just going to go, I'm going to, and they'll name where they're going. And whenever they tell me they're going, I would say, look, they're going to Las Vegas. And I'd like to ask you for some money, because <laughs> I know they're going to lose it anyway. <laughs> so I'd like one thousand. You got two thousand dollars, three thousand. How much are you planning to gamble? I don't mean to be rude, but you're going to lose it anyway. And I, I've got some great plans for your money, and there's going to be a great return. It hasn't really been successful yet, but I ask. <laughs> and then, I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, anyway. So I'm sophisticating my approach, right? So anyway. <laughs> But on the, no one listens to me on the way to Las Vegas. But on the way out of Las Vegas, I've had many Bible studies that people listen. <laughs> Why do you suppose it is that people listen on the way out, but not the way in? When I was sitting next to this man once, he lost his whole house and everything else. He gambled it all away. And he was in tears reading this magazine about how gambling beguiles people. And it was only three days too late. 
and he's in tears and he has to go tell his house and, he, and, he, and he's just weeping and I'm looking at the magazine. You know what the magazine said? It was talking about how they baffle people in these casinos. They do it with music, they do it with food, they know exactly the foods that if you eat those foods, they baffle your brain. They do it with scantily clad men and women and they do it with drink. You know what the magazine said? The safest place to be in a casino if you have to go in? The bathroom. <laughs> but what it taught me was all of those things are provisions for the flesh. And just like in a casino, they're trying to steal money from you. The devil's trying to steal your life. And be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Even reading the salacious details about tigers in the woods and whatever else you're looking at. Just be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Set no evil thing before the eyes. So, I mean, do I need to break that down? That seems a pretty relevant, doesn't it? Set no evil thing. Now, why is that? You know, there's mere neurons. Scientific American magazine talks about this. When you see something, you begin to mirror it, no matter what it is. No matter what it is. You look at it and you say, I'm not that type of person. But you begin, by beholding, you become changed. And they looked at this. They had these little, whatever this is, baboon. And they were watching, uh, they were watching that baboon. Had all these electrodes hooked up to him and seeing what happened when he did this accident or that. And then they left. And the guy just ate a peanut. Or he saw him eat a peanut. The baboon did. And the part of his brain that would have lit up if he ate the peanut began to fire. Even though he wasn't eating the peanut, his brain began to fire as he was eating the peanut because he saw the peanut being eaten. So, mirror neurons fire not only as we perform a certain action, but also when we watch someone else perform the action. If you look, look to a woman for lust for that woman, you've committed adultery in your heart, the Bible says. Mirror neurons don't just fire when an animal is watching someone else. They also fire if the monkey hears the sound. Or when they read about it, even when they read about it, this is why romance novels and all those different kind of things are just as bad. Right? Now here's a picture. You can't see it maybe. Now here's the section that lights up in the red if you did the action. Here's the section that if you just saw it, it's the same section, not quite as much, but it's the same section of the brain is lighting up. So this is what I mean. Make no provision for the flesh by what you see or those different things. Re realize that winning a war begins, m means fighting many battles. Um, you know, uh, I think the devil tries to get you to just give up. How many think that's true? He tries to get you to give up if you, if you have a, a fail. But keep, keep on keeping on. There's some... Um, number 12. Live in the presence of God. Um, I like the story of Joseph. Remember when Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him and he said, there's no one greater in this house than I. He's not kept back anything from me except for you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Is that what it says? No, sin against God. So he lived as though he was in the what? The presence of God. Uh, another practical tip. Use temptations as springboards for spiritual insights and reaffirmations. So in other words, when you're being tempted, when you're being tempted, 
you begin to punish the devil <laughs> for the temptation. Reminds me that I'm forgiven, right? Thank the Lord that I've, I'm, I, I, I've been forgiven. Thank the Lord for the, for the blood of Jesus that gives me pardon but also power. Thank me, thank the Lord for his victory. And uh, reminds me that I want to rededicate my life. Every time you're tempted, use it as a opportunity to rehearse all the wonderful things that God has done and is doing. Reminds me that I want to see God and that he wants to see me, that he came to save me. I'm just really convinced, folks, that in Christ, the victory is already there. And when we start to struggle, we look to him and claim the victory. Amen. Amen. Um, when this happens, what's the promise? Resist the devil and he will he'll flee from you. Be accountable for your eyes, your thoughts and deeds. Each of us shall give an account to himself to God. In other words, don't blame someone else for your activity. Well, she was dressing that way. Have you heard this defense before? It's her fault. Well, she might have fault, <laughs> but you're really still at fault. Be accountable for your own actions. Work on the part of the problem you can work on. Amen? Amen. So here's another thing, and I, I want to just hasten to say there's a great chapter in the book, uh, Testimonies, Volume 5, two chapters actually. Testimonies, Volume 5, there's a chapter, Erroneous Views of Confession and True Views of Confession, I think it's called. And I'm not for, uh, you know, it says, uh, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you might be healed. I think you've got to be careful with that. You don't want to have a confessional where you're telling all the gory details uh, to people that are really not part of the problem or the solution. And you don't want to have people... Uh, uh, taking what you told them and sending it to the National Enquirer or whatever and making money off whatever you did or devastating you. But I still believe it's important to find godly people that you can have be accountability partners. Maybe ask questions like this. Did you spend daily time alone with the Lord this week? What I find in my life is that whenever I fail and have failures for the week, it's I look back and the curse did not come causeless. Uh, usually I haven't been spending the time I need to, with the Lord. And what I find is when I'm helping with people in relationships, that they haven't been spending time with the Lord. I, I had this couple call me just yesterday and they were, they were fighting with each other. And then they wanted me to take sides, you know. Yeah, that's, I did that a couple of times and after several hospitalizations I learned that's, not, that's really not... <laughs> really not helpful. And uh, so what I told them was, I said, look, I don't want to hear more about the problems. What I want you to do is memorize this text. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Amen. For you died and your life was hidden with Christ and God. Memorize that text. And then secondly, I want you to read the chapters from Ministry of Healing called In Contact with Others. And I want you to read about the life of Jesus. Give him a couple chapters from the Desire of Ages. In other words, look at Jesus. Don't talk about each other. And then I showed him this powerful text in Revelation chapter 14 
where it shows Jesus on the top of the mountain. You remember that text? And the people up there are singing with him, the 144,000. How do you remember that? And they're on the top of the mountain. And it says they follow the Lamb wherever he goes, and they're at the top of the mountain. Remember that? Now, if you started at the base of the mountain, and you go to the top of the mountain, are you all going to see each other at the base of the mountain? There might be a mountain between you. But as you start going closer to Jesus, what's happening? You're getting closer to each other even though you don't know it. You say, wait a minute. She's not reading. Well, who cares? You keep reading because you're going up and she's down there and pretty soon you'll be able to look down at her. <laughs> and when you get to the top of that mountain, when you're looking down, you're right next to Jesus and you're exactly like Jesus, so they're not going to see you anymore. They're going to see Jesus and they're going to be drawn. Amen? Amen. So don't, don't worry about that. Just, you just keep looking at Jesus. And as you do, you're going to get closer and closer and closer and pretty soon you'll start singing. And you'll be back together. But focusing on your problem, folks, is sometimes not the right thing. Focus on your solution. Amen? Amen. Amen. And as you're focusing on that solution, he's going to bring uh, an end to the pollution through dilution <laughs> from his word. Okay? So, did you spend time alone with the Lord this week? Have you been faithfully meditating day and night on at least one verse or one glow track? which is based on one verse. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you what, there's power in just one text. My little daughter memorized a text a couple years ago called, this was a text, Do Not Rebel Against the Lord. That was her memory verse. She followed me around the house, everywhere I went. And I go to my wife, and I said something I shouldn't have said to my wife. My little two-year-old daughter goes, Do not rebel against the Lord. <laughs> And then I'm walking over next to the refrigerator. I look in the refrigerator and there's something in there, you know, it's tempting me. And she comes, do not rebel against the Lord. <laughs> anyway, meditate. And she was meditating on that verse. She didn't even know when she was saying it. She just said it at the right times. And how convicting it was. <laughs> have you looked at anything? Have you looked at anything you know God would not want you to look at? That's a good question to ask somebody, right? And have you committed any actions God would consider wrong or immoral? These are good questions to ask yourself. And have you been completely honest? These were questions were taken from a men's group that uh, was trying to help each other be accountable. How many think those are good questions? Now, some of these things, maybe you're thinking, I'd like to have some of these quotes and different things myself for my own library. You can go to my website, AmazingFacts.org, and I, I'll post them under Macintosh Notes so you can get some of these texts. So let's review. Begin a war that you expect to win because the victory's in Christ. Realize that it's a battle. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and do his good pleasure. Amen. Remember that the battle is in the mind. And uh, begin with fasting and confession. And I talked about fasting relationship, right? Commit to have Christ wash your brain through the washing of the water of the word. And ask him to replace the devil's strongholds with God's. And that is, that's a science. I mean, as you, you can learn, you learn what you focus on. You know, they did a study of obsessive compulsive disorder patients. Uh, how many of you know what that is? obsessive compulsive disorder patients. You know, like somebody that just washes their hands 500 times a day or this or that and they just get into this and, and they, 
there were these intractable cases where they were just so obsessed with a certain pattern of doing things that was repetitive and whatnot, which an addiction can become that way, that they handed all these patients over to a guy named Jeffrey Schwartz. He was a physician, and, and this is what he discovered, four things that helped. <laughs> this is not on your list. That's new. <laughs> Number one, he taught them by showing them PET scans and CAT scans and everything of the brain that uh, really the disease that they were struggling with was one of the emotional sections of the brain, not the frontal lobe. And he told them what it was, obsessive compulsive disorder, and then he told them this little phrase, that's not me, it's my OCD. Like, <laughs> seems kind of simple. That's not me, it's my OCD. In other words, so they distanced themselves from that. And then the second thing was to re-attribute re it. So relabel it, then reattribute it. It's happening in my limbic system. It's not happening in my frontal lobe, they learned. It's happening in my seat of emotions and feelings and wants, but not my needs. It's, it's happening where I feel like doing something, but I don't have to do it. So reattribute it, and he showed them exactly <laughs> how that works, okay? Exactly how that works. Now, number three was really important. Because he showed them the difference between that, he then described to them with physiology and all the slides, because he's not, he's not, he's a pre-Adventist. He's not an Adventist yet. He described to them how the frontal lobe can have victory over the limbic system. And then he said, the difference between focusing on the limbo, limbic system, and doing the limbo of the limbic system, and being led by the frontal lobe is one of focus. You become what you focus on. Everything depends on the right action of your choice, your will, he told them. Sounds like he'd been reading Ellen White. And then he said, you must revalue your whole system. In other words, relabel, reattribute, refocus, but then revalue. In other words, what is the highest truth in your life? You say amen to that? Amen. And I tell you what, if, if, if the children of darkness are coming to the light in that way, what a wonderful thing we have to rebuild those strongholds. Make a covenant with your eyes. Remove provisions for defeat. Realize that winning the war means fighting many battles. And live in the fear and presence of God, we saw. Learn the limitations. God, learn God's limitation to curiosity. In other words, be uh, ignorant of what is evil and know a lot about what is good. Now, that's not quite the text. Curiosity killed the cat. Satisfaction did not bring him back, okay? Use temptations. Use temptations as springboards for spiritual insights, all right? In other words, it reminds me of all the things that God has done for me and just punish the devil big time. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Is what I've been sharing important? Amen. Maybe not for you, but someone you know, amen? Yeah. Is there hope for those who have fallen? Look at this. I just love this passage. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, the sodomites, and the whole list. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at this. Read this with me. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. How many think that's good news? And look at this text. These are the ones who are not defiled with women for they're virgins. Well, who are these virgins? They're the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. 
These were redeemed. What do you mean redeemed? That means they once were lost. They were, had friendship with the world, which is adultery and idolatry, right? And yet, because they begin to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, they're now pictured as what? Virgins. Even though you, have, you maybe aren't a virgin, you can become one again through the grace of God. Amen? Amen? That's the picture that's given. And then we leave you with this one as we close. If you have made mistakes, how many want to raise your hand and say, I've made mistakes? You certainly gain a victory. If you see these mistakes and regard them as beacons of warning, thus you turn defeat into what? Victory, disappointing the enemy, and honoring your Redeemer. Wow. All things can still work together for good. Remember, our goal is to pursue holiness without which no one will see God. But the good news is that those who are impure in heart will see God. And I want to say to you, Rejoice, ye pure in heart. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing. Your festal banner wave on high. Not what you did, but the cross of Christ, your King. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to have the lust of the Spirit, not of the flesh. Fill us with your Spirit. We can't do it, but you've done it. And we have to uh, claim it and only do it through your strength. You want to do it in us and through us. But you demand our surrender each step of the way. Bring these tools to our mind and help us to have victory in you, for you, so we can glow with you. In Christ's name, amen.